Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City. Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. I want to to share with you um, about tithe and offering. You know, we tithe up. Uh, Destiny City tithes. We tithe to two people, uh, two organizations, basically to our apostle, which is Frank Harvey and Covenant Life Ministries. We also tithe to um, Evangel Fellowship International. And you know, there have been times when, when I've tithed and I've looked at the situation that we're in and we think, well, this don't make sense because we need to pay this and we need to pay that, but we need to pay the tithe. You know what the Lord says? Do you trust me or not? And so we go ahead and pay the tithe. And sometimes I've been challenged not just to pay the tithe, but to give extra. Because you can't outgive God. And, and just like, for instance, last Sunday when we had our speaker, the Lord, you know, just gave, he put a certain number in my heart to give to him because he really ministered. People were touched. Hearts were touched. Lives were changed. And, uh, and so when I, I went to make the check, I, I, I made it out and, and it was far above what we had taken in, but that's what the Lord laid on my heart to do. And, and I gave it to him. And the very next morning, someone brings in the tithe check. There's three times the amount of what I gave the. So you can't outgive God. There's just no way that you can do it. God is always and forever faithful. Amen? Amen. And, you know, we're, we're getting ready to do communion. And, and really, communion is about faith. Communion is about faith. Anybody ever think about it that way? When we, when we have communion, when we share in communion, we break bread together, we drink the cup together. We are by faith remembering what Jesus did and the reason why he did it. It's not just enough to remember what he did, but it's the why that's important. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5, that he was what? He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes you are healed. So, you know, knowing that that's the reason that Jesus went to the cross, that's the reason he bore the stripes in his back, was for our healing. And I want to pause right there, right now, for just a moment, because that's a reminder that we have several this morning who are in need of healing. I got a call early this morning. My son, Justin, is in the emergency room right now as we speak. Uh, don't know what's going on. There's something going on in his bowel area. And he was in severe pain when I, went, when I stopped in to check on him this morning before I came to church. And, uh, and, and his little boy, Jackson, was sick all weekend, throwing up and everything. So, and, and Holly, uh, Ed said she couldn't, couldn't even sleep last night because pain in her feet. And, and there are others that are, that are suffering right now. And, and the enemy wants to attack, but you know what? He's trespassing. So what I want us to do right now is I want us to stand right where you are. And we're going to declare healing over them because the Bible says that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also in their midst. And he said, if any two of you agree on earth as touching anything you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. Whose name? Jesus' name. So in the name of Jesus, 
We're going to ask God to touch them. And really, we're asking God to do something that we know is his will because the Bible says in 1 John 5, 14, that if we ask anything according to the will of the Father, we know that he hears. And because we know that he hears, then we know. Why do we know? Because he's faithful. Then we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. So let's just petition the Father this morning. Let's just ask him to touch them that are suffering in their bodies this morning. Some of them are not here for that very reason. Thank God to see that Edie's here. The Lord touched her. Praise God. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we take authority over the devil. He is trespassing. Lord, when he comes into our homes and tries to afflict our loved ones, he has no right there. And, Lord, we take authority over him in the name of Jesus, and we declare healing over Justin, over Jackson, over Holly, and over anyone else who is suffering in their body today that the enemy is afflicted. Lord, we take authority over it in the name of Jesus, and we speak healing over them, and we stand together, and we declare that by the stripes of Jesus, they are made whole. They are healed in Jesus' name. And for those this morning, Lord, whom the enemy has tempting and trying to drag their soul into the very depths of disparity in hell itself, through drugs and alcohol, Lord, we break the power of addiction over their lives in the name of Jesus. We come against every demonic spirit that is holding them in bondage, and we declare, let them go in the name of Jesus. Be gone from them in the name of Jesus. And we speak wholeness over them in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that we have the right to do so because your word tells us to. And Lord, we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, that because we stand in agreement and we declare that by the name of Jesus, they are healed, they are. And so are we in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. How many of y'all believe that Jesus' blood is sufficient? Amen. It washes away all of our sins. That's what communion is all about. It's faith. It's remembering what he has done and the reason that he did it is faith and what he has accomplished. And, and Paul says that, that many, because they don't discern the body of Jesus, they don't understand what it's about. Many are sick among you. And many people are sick because they don't discern the reason for the stripes of Jesus, the reason he was wounded. They don't understand, but he did it for us so that we could be healed. He doesn't want us to be sick. He wants us to be whole. As a matter of fact, there's two words for salvation. And one is soteria. Jesus is our soter. He is our deliverer. That's what soter is. He's our soterion. He is our deliverer who has come to deliver us from the clutches of sin and from the depths of disparity in hell itself. He came to save us, to deliver us. But he didn't just come to deliver us. He also came to save us by sozo. He came to save us. He came to make us whole. Not just in our bodies, but in our minds. Our mind, will, and emotions. In our spirit to make us alive unto Christ. He came to save us, not from something, but to something. He took us out so he can take us in. 
That's what he came to do. He came to sozo us, and, and, and that's what salvation is all about. But the way that it was accomplished was through the cross of Christ. I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to just kind of get us going in the right direction here this morning. You know, one thing we all like to do when we go out to eat, we like to eat, and then we like to do what? We like to sit and talk. We like to commune. And really, that's what communion is. It's fellowship. And then in the New Testament church, in the early church, that's exactly what they did. They broke bread together. That was communion. It wasn't just sitting down and taking a little plastic cup with a little bit of grape juice in it and a little bit of bread and, and, and declaring that this is the body and the blood of Jesus and, you know, doing this little religious thing. What they did is they sat down and had a full-scale meal. They broke bread together. This is the body of Jesus. They drank wine together. I'm sorry if you're Baptist and you don't believe in that, but, you know, that's what they did. They didn't drink grape juice. They drank wine. But they didn't get drunk. Some of them did, and Paul rebuked them for it. He says, some of you kept come here just to get fat. You just come here to eat. That's the only reason you come, but you forget about the greater thing, which is the communion, the koinonia, the fellowship. That's what it's about. We fellowship around the table of Jesus, and, and it's, it's this coming together, this koinonia, that is real communion. It's not just a religious observance, though it is. It is one of the statutes of the Lord. He says there are two things that we're supposed to do that he gave us to do, two ordinances. One is water baptism, and the other is communion. That's what the church is to do. I mean, those are the religious things that we do. Everything else, you know, we, 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 we love Jesus, we honor him, we glorify him, we go out and we build the kingdom, we spread the gospel. That's the thing he called us to do. But this morning, we are going to commemorate what Jesus did. Now, now this, this is important that because of today, this is especially, especially meaningful. Because it was just a few days before that Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room. Just a few days before that, he had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. But on this particular day, several days later, after he'd made his triumphal entry, and everybody was shouting Hosanna and everything else, and he sat down with his disciples, and it says that as he was sitting with them, that after they had eaten, he took bread, and he broke it. I'm going to ask our ushers to come now, and we're going to distribute the communion elements, and we want you to take the bread, and we want you to hold it, because we're going to break it together. I'm going to take one of these and one of these. And when you come back, we'll finish up. Go ahead. But Jesus took some bread. Now, we've got these little wafer things. You know, go ahead, guys. But really, what he had was flat bread. It's matzah bread. It's, you know, it was unleavened bread that they were eating. If you know anything about unleavened bread, some people are like, I can't stand that stuff. It's like crackers, you know. But it was, just, but it, it was, it was baked, but it didn't rise. It had no leaven in it. It was pure. But this is what they were eating. They were sitting around, they had, and Jesus took the matzah, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And as often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. 
Now, if you've ever taken matzah bread and you look at it, it's, it's, it's interesting because it has stripes in it. You ever notice that? It also has crosses in it, which, you know, in the making of the matzah bread, I'm sure that, that, that the Jewish mind never considered that, but God did in the making of it. And, 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 and there's a reason for that. He was wounded. He was pierced for our transgressions. It's got holes all in it. And it was, he was wounded for our iniquities. He was the chastisement of our peace, the stripes. For our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes you were healed. See, Jesus did all this. Everything he did has significance. We have these little things, and it has a little cross in the middle of it, and, and, and that's okay. But, uh, you know, there, there are several uh, denominations, and, and one in particular that believes in tra- transubstantiation, which I don't ascribe to that, that, that this piece of bread actually becomes the body of Jesus when we bless it. And then there are others that, you know, it's very symbolic of that, and it's close to it. I believe it's very close. I really do. I believe it is such a sacred thing when we take this bread and we remember what Jesus did. We're not to do it lightly, but we're to do it in remembrance of what he did for us. It cost God to redeem us. It cost everything it had. It cost Jesus to procure our salvation. It, 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 was, it was hard for him. It was difficult for him. I, I, I'm reminded of his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in, in Matthew 26 when he, he goes in and he, and he prays and he prays so hard and, and his words as he's praying is, Father, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but nonetheless, not my will, but your will be done. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew that the cross was imminent. He knew where he was going. He knew what his destiny was, and it was hard. It was not easy, but he did it. Nonetheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And the agony of that prayer, knowing, you can only imagine what Jesus was getting ready to suffer. The the things he was suffering, the penalty he was suffering, the reason he was suffering was because of you and me. That's the reason. And the stripes he was getting ready to bear were the stripes that were meant for you and me. The punishment, the agony of the cross that he was getting ready to endure was not on his behalf, but it was on yours and mine. For the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now think about that for just a moment. He became sin. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it says that when he was hanging there, in the condition he was in, that the moment that he yielded up his spirit and said, it is finished, and he hung his head and he died, it says that it became dark and there was earthquake. But something else began to happen the souls that were in the graves began to get up out of the grave and walk the streets. Can you imagine the power of that moment? But the agony of that moment as well. When Jesus hung on that cross and he became sin who knew no sin. I can't even imagine 
the heart of the Father as he's watching his only begotten son hanging on the cross, becoming sin. The ugliness, the putridness, the, the, the hatefulness of sin that Jesus became. No wonder it became dark. I can imagine for just a moment the father had to turn his head because he could not stand to look upon his son in such agony. But that was the price that was paid. That's the reason why. That's the reason why we remember what he did for us. That's the reason. Never forget. Never forget the cost, the price that was paid. Never forget the blood that was poured out for our cleansing and for the forgiveness of our sins. Never forget the stripes that Jesus bore so that we could be healed. You know, I like also that the Word of God says that he did it with joy. Hebrews chapter 12. Seeing then we're encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and every hindrance that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was before him. Despising the shame, he says. He went to the cross. He gave his life for us. Because he knew what the outcome would be. He knew that it would be your freedom. He knew that it would be your healing. And he said, remember it. Remember. Remember. If you're sick in your body this morning, there's power in Jesus. There's power in the, in the work that he accomplished at Calvary. He did it so you could be healed. Who himself bear our sins in his own body on that tree that we being dead to sins might live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. He did it for us. Remember? When Jesus took the bread, let's take the bread. Let's give thanks. Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus that was bruised and beaten and battered beyond recognition. Lord, so that we could be changed for the transformation of our own body, our own spirit. From death unto life. Lord, he was wounded so we wouldn't have to be. He was bruised so we wouldn't have to be. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you. Let's break it and eat together. Thank you, Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23, that after they had eaten, he took also the cup. And he said, this cup is the blood of the covenant that is poured out for you and me. Now, what's the covenant? It's the covenant of life. Jesus died. Whenever there's a covenant made, there was always a shedding of blood. 
He shed his blood to procure a covenant with us, to establish covenant with us. It cost him something. It was always a price to be paid when there was a covenant made. It's a promise of life that he gave us through his blood. It's not just a forgiveness of sins. It's so much more. It's not just what we leave behind, but what we take up. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. That's what it's about. It's, 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 it's following in his steps. It's walking in his steps, doing his will, doing what he wants us to do. It's a covenant. Jesus said, if we, if we don't drink his blood and, and eat his flesh, then we have nothing to do with him. But this morning we do. We drink this cup and we remember. We remember the covenant. We remember the promise. And we remember who made it. And that he was faithful to fulfill it. And we thank you, Jesus, that by the stripes we were healed. But by the blood we were made whole. By the blood we were forgiven and our sins are washed away. To be remembered against us no more. They no longer exist. We have been justified. Justified never sinned. Through the blood of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. And we drink this cup together in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to move this out just a little bit. Just in case I get a little bit hyper. Which I've been known to do. By the way, y'all get a bunch of these things and take them, pass them out. They're not doing any good sitting back there. Okay. Praise the Lord. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that we traditionally set aside to commemorate that day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus knew his destiny. He knew what lied ahead of him. But John, I believe, of all the writers of the Gospels, the story is, is given in each one of the, uh, of, of, the, of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But I believe John gives us the best perspective as to why there were so many people there. Because if you go to John chapter 11, you see an event that took place involving a young man by the name of Lazarus who had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Lazarus had died. And they had sent after Jesus, and he was only about six miles away when they sent for him. And they asked Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. Y'all, most of y'all know the story. Just in case you don't, let me kind of, kind of give you a recap of the story. And so they sent for Jesus, and they said, Lazarus, your friend is sick. Would you come and heal him? And Jesus said, Lazarus is going to be all right. And so he hung around for a couple of more days. In the meantime, Lazarus died. So they sent another messenger to Jesus and said, don't bother Lazarus is dead. And Jesus said, well, I'll go to it. <laughs> well, they said Lazarus sleeps is what they said. And so his disciples said to Jesus, well, if he's sleeping, that's probably a good thing. Jesus said, you don't understand, he's dead. 
And I imagine they're thinking and scratching their heads, well, why bother going to him now? And Jesus said this happened so the Father could be glorified. So Jesus makes his way back to Bethany where Lazarus was laid. And when he gets there, of course, Mary and Martha are all in a tizzy and, and the mourners had already gathered. And, you know, they had professional mourners who would come and wail and moan and groan and everything. I mean, they were paid to do that. They were good at it. They were like actors. And so they're all, oh, Lazarus, oh, you know, just going on and on. And, and so when they come, when Jesus comes and they see him coming, and it says when they see him coming that Martha runs out to meet him and give him a piece of her mind. And she runs up to him and she says, Master, if you had only come earlier, you could have healed him. What took you so long? She knew he was only a few miles away. It wasn't like he was days away, but, you know, they sent for him. And what was it, four days later, he comes back. And Jesus says to Martha, he says, Martha, do you believe in the resurrection? He said, of course I do. And Jesus said, well, Martha, if you believe in God, also believe in me. For I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And she said, well, I know. I know that we're all going to live in the resurrection. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, I am the very source of life. And of course, Mary, she's just all heartbroken and everything. She wouldn't even come out. But then Jesus, we know the story how he goes to the tomb and all the wailers are there. And, and then we see the shortest verse in the Bible in Luke eleven thirty seven, And Jesus wept because of their unbelief. They didn't believe. Knowing him and seeing. But then Jesus does a miracle. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Now this is just before he makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So now you can understand the enthusiasm of the crowd because here's a man who raised somebody from the dead and had never been done before except through Elijah and Elisha. They hadn't seen this kind of thing in, eight, in centuries that they could even, I mean, there were only historical records of it. They had never seen anybody raised from the dead. Now Lazarus is up walking around. And so Jesus, when he comes and he, and he sends and he says, tells his disciples to go, there's going to be a, a donkey and a young foal, you know, if you will bring them to me. And so they go and they get them. And Jesus, you know, they put, uh, they put some stuff on the backs of the donkeys and Jesus comes riding in and everybody goes out and gathers up palm leaves and they're waving them and they're shouting out and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Do you know what Hosanna means? It means save now. Save now. And why were they saying that? Because Jesus had raised someone from the dead. All of a sudden, their faith had elevated to the point that they were ready to believe that Messiah had come. Because surely nobody else could do this. So they yelled, save us, save us. And what were they actually saying? Deliver us from the Romans. Become our king. We want to crown you king right now. And so when uh, someone come riding into town on a donkey, that was symbolic of the king riding in 
to receive his crown. And so they were waving the palms. They were shouting, save us now, save now, save now. Why? Because for centuries they had believed that Messiah would come. And for centuries they had declared this one thing out of Psalm 118, verse 25. I'm going to read this to you, and it says this. Well, actually, I'm going to begin in 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Y'all ever saying this? This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, Lord, Hosanna. Do save, we beseech thee. Oh, Lord, we beseech thee to send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will give thanks to thee. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Hosanna was said even then in the temple when they would have the feast and they would declare, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, save us. Save now. This was the day. So you can see there was a heightened expectation. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah at that moment and they were ready. They were ready to overthrow the Romans. They had been waiting for centuries for this moment to happen. They were so ready. And they thought, this is the day that the Lord has made. Save now. Now. Let it happen now. Let your kingdom come now. And they were ready. And they were so excited. But Jesus rode into Jerusalem, not to take a crown, but to take a cross. He knew what his destiny was. It says Jesus actually wept over Jerusalem because he could see what was coming. He knew that not too long after he was ascended to the Father that, that Jerusalem was going to be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. He knew what was happening. He knew what was getting ready to take place, that they were getting ready to the same people that were yelling, Hosanna, save us now, are the same ones that are going to be standing not many days and they're going to be saying, crucify him, away with him. He's an imposter. He's not Messiah. They rejected him. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. They didn't know. They didn't know. Jesus knew. John says in the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, in verse 11, it says that he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of the Spirit. Jesus was on a mission, but his mission 
was to fulfill his destiny. He knew what it entailed. He was born to die that we might live, but it wasn't enough that he just die. He was destined not to just die, but to die the most cruel, inhumane death known to man. That was a Roman crucifixion where he would be hanged on a cross and left for hours to suffer in agony before his life would leave him. I can't even imagine the kind of suffering that Jesus went through. I can't even imagine, you know, the, 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 the torment of his mind when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what's ahead of him, but being willing to take it. And the crown of thorns that they put on his head, they pierced his brow. You know, the, the, the agony of the mind is, is the reason that Jesus was pierced in the brow. It, it, it's for our thoughts. It's for, it's for the torment of our, of our own minds and the worry and the things that we go through that, that Jesus has paid the penalty and paid the price that we can be set free from. Why do we worry? Why do we carry around burdens that we need not bear? Because Jesus has already borne them. Why? Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. He was wounded for our transgressions. I like to personalize that. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement, my peace was laid upon him. By his stripes, I are healed. Amen. Amen. Hosanna, they said. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus listened to them, knowing all the while that they were going to reject him. He knew that the cross lay ahead. And his heart was broken because he could see their hearts. Because the word it says in Isaiah that you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He understood. But he also understood this in Philippians 2, 7 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It says he emptied himself. That is, he divested himself of all of his heavenly privilege. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, whenever we see that word therefore, we have to understand what it's there for. He did it for a reason. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed him on him the name. Now, we may not understand what that means. But there is an, a Hebrew acronym that means Yahweh. And the Jews would not even write that name because it was so sacred. They would not utter the name Yah, because it's the name of God. It was so sacred. But Jesus had bestowed on him the name that is above all names. <laughs> Woo! 
that at the name of Jesus, Yah, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, some of the knees on earth will bow. Every Christian on earth will bow at the name of Jesus. Well, it doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> Woo! That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess. In other words, agree with the fact that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One day, Louis Farrakhan is going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, Barack Obama is going to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, every wicked man, woman that has ever lived on the face of the earth and has denied the name of Jesus will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because he wears the name. The name. And you know what else? He's given us the name. Glory to God. I want you to understand something. Peter got a revelation. On the day that he was walking into the temple, and he passed by this gate that they called beautiful. This beautiful gate. And every day there was a man that they would bring who hadn't walked in over 40 years, had been crippled in his feet from birth, and never even experienced it. And he, they would bring him, and his only means of getting money was to beg alms. Alms for the poor, alms for the poor. You know, it's kind of like GoFundMe back then, you know, <laughs> except it was come fund me. And they would sit him there. That was only, his only means of getting, making a living. And so the disciples are passing by, and Peter and John, they'd been in prayer, and they were praying in the Holy Ghost, you know, ooh, and they're walking by, and they hear somebody say, alms. And all of a sudden, Peter turns around, and he says, oh, I just got a revelation of the name. I got a revelation. This name is exalted above every other name. Every name has to bow to this name. Hey, look, I don't, I don't have any money. I mean, we just paid our taxes. We don't have any money. But what I do have, whoo, what I do have, I give to you in the name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he said when he did, he stood up and his ankle straightened. And he began leaping and dancing. Go ahead and leap and dance if you want to. And praising the Lord all the way into the temple. 
You know, he's just, woo! And he goes into the temple, and Peter and John are just walking in like, isn't God good? Check this out, the name. The name of Jesus. But then they had some religious folks that didn't understand. And they're like, who healed you? Who healed you? The name. There were some guys that came by and they spoke the name. The name of Jesus. Scribes and the Pharisees couldn't understand. They didn't understand the name. Because they were so bound up in their religious theology and their philosophy, they couldn't understand that the name had been given to Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue would confess and declare that he is Lord. They didn't understand. And Peter and John even told them, said, if you would have known that you were killing the, the king of glory, you wouldn't have done it. They didn't understand, but it had to happen. Jesus knew. He full, had full knowledge of what he was getting ready to do when he came in and made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The father had planned it. He knew he wasn't going to Jerusalem to be crowned as a king, but to die. And he responded to the praise of the people, even because they didn't have an idea of how Jesus was going to save them. They knew at that moment and that time they were acknowledging, this is the day the Lord has made. Hosanna, save now. They were acknowledging that he was the one who was coming in the name of the Lord who would save and bring prosperity. At that moment, they were declaring it. They didn't understand how. God's ways are not our ways, are they? We expect God to do things the way that we think God wants to do it. And so many times we are so wrong. Boy, have I ever been wrong thinking God was going to do something, and I have a vision of, of the way that I think God's going to do it, and God just changes all the plans and everything else. He still does it, just not the way that I think. Because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. And God had a plan. God had a plan. He knew exactly what he was getting ready to do. He knew how he was going to save mankind even before the foundation of the earth. He knew exactly how he was going to do it. He even, he, even, he even gave a hint of it in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, and he killed a lamb to cover them. He killed animals to cover them. Blood had to be shed to cover their sin and their nakedness. He gave them a hint. All down through history, there were hints of what God was getting ready to do, but they still didn't understand it. Sometimes we just don't understand what God is doing, but God is always at work. And, and in this case, they certainly didn't understand. They didn't understand that, that Messiah that they thought was going to be coming as a king was coming as a servant, meek and lowly, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Had no idea. Had no idea. But Jesus did. He had full knowledge of it. Luke tells us in Luke 19, 39, and some of the, the Pharisees and the multitude said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples, and he answered them. He said, I tell you, 
If these become silent, the stones will cry out. They were crying, Hosanna. And the scribes and the Pharisees are like, you're not the one who came to save us. Tell them to be quiet. They, they, they certainly got it wrong because, you know, we've got, we've got the, 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 the law. We've got the, we got the scrolls and everything else. And, and we just don't believe that this is the way that God's going to do it. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, you don't understand. If, if they don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out themselves. Wow. They, they, they get it. They get it. This was the day the prophets had prophesied about. This was the day that the Lord has made. Jesus was on his way to his destiny, and the word of the Lord was being fulfilled, so there was a reason for rejoicing. The disciples didn't fully understand while they were in the moment. They didn't understand either. But in their spirit, they knew that something was happening that was going to change the world. They didn't understand it at first. But when he died and it seemed that all their hopes were gone and when he arose and their hope was restored and when they, he came up in the resurrection, when they witnessed his death on the cross and his subsequent burial in the tomb, they thought it was all over. But on the third day, on the third day, just as he had promised, hope resurrected. You ever been in that place in your life when it seemed like all of a sudden your hopes are squashed? All your hope is gone and you just got no reason for living? Anybody ever been there in the depths of despair? <laughs> I've been there, believe me. I've been there, and I, I, I felt such despair. I felt overwhelmed. But when my heart is overwhelmed, I cry out to the rock that is higher than I. I go to him. I go to him, and, and he restores me. He restores our soul. And, and, and this is where the disciples were. They didn't understand at that moment, but later on when Jesus had proved to them that he was indeed alive, when he appeared to them after the resurrection, when he walked into a, a room through the walls, and, and he proved to them that, that time and space and death and anything else has any hold on him, when he proved himself to them, now they understood. They understood that hope was alive. They understood it. John says that he proved itself to him. He proved himself to them. And when he approved in that, when he came into that room and, and, and he breathed on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he proved to them that he was indeed alive. In Luke's account, Jesus appeared to them on several occasions, but his own, on his final appearance, he left them with these instructions. He said in Luke 24, 40, uh, through 44 through 49, he says, these are my words which I spoke to you about while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be, be proclaimed in, the, in his name. Everybody say the name. In his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Happened on the day of Pentecost. Then Jesus blessed them and parted from them, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed there, and they followed Jesus' instruction until the promise that Jesus had given was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Hosanna, save now. Jesus' mission, he knew what it was, was to save. We read about it in John 3, 16 and 17. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him 
might be saved. Hallelujah. And Luke 19, 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. In 1 Timothy 1, 15, he says, It is a trustworthy statement, deserving of a full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost, or the worst of all. Wow. I thought I wrote that scripture until I read Paul's account. <sighs> when you get a glimpse of grace. When you've rebelled so much and you've sinned so much and you've rejected God so much that you feel like there's no hope that God surely would not accept you. When you've outsinned all your friends, you've outcussed, you've outdrugged, you've outsmoked, you've outdrank, you've done everything you can do in the face of God, you feel like. God, there's no hope for me. When you've been to the altar and you've cried your eyes out and then you get up and you walk away and you go and you sin again and you do it over and over again, you think, surely, God, you can't go on forgiving me. There has, there has to be a limit. There's got to be a cutoff somewhere. And you feel like you've crossed that line when you've cut off and you've been cut off from the grace of God and you feel like there's no hope for me. And yet God reveals himself to you in such a way that he shows you the depth of his love for you. And understand that he bore all my sins on that cross. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about being in a place of disparity in my life where I felt like there was no hope. But Jesus came to me in the middle of the night and brought hope to me. The name. I got a glimpse of Calvary. I saw it. A vision of Jesus hanging on the cross. Broken, bruised, bleeding, agony. And I saw sin saw the ugliness of sin, what it did to him. And then just for a split second, I saw myself on the cross. But then I saw Jesus again because he took my place. Oh, it changed everything. It changed everything. That's what he did. That's the depth of his grace. You, there's no way you can outsin God's grace. There's no way God will find you. The hound of heaven will seek you out because God's love is so much greater than all of our sin. Romans 5, 8 says that God has shown us his love in this way. He's commended his love toward us in this. That while we were yet sinners... He didn't wait till we got good enough. It's while we were in our hopeless state. It's while we were out sending everybody else that he loved us. While we were yet sinners, God loved us. 
saved now. Hosanna. We all need a Savior. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Every one of us. Not a one of us. The Bible says that there is none righteous. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not one. Not one of us can stand our own, on our own merit and say that I am good enough to obtain the promise of heaven. None of us. Because the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all, everybody say all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And James said that if we violate even one of the commandments, break even one of the commandments, then we've broken them all because they're all contained in one thing, the law. We've broken all the law. And you can say to yourself, well, I'm a pretty good person. I try my best to obey the commandments. I know there are 10 of them. I do pretty good. I, I keep six of them. Or maybe you keep nine of them. Or maybe nine and a half. It means you keep most of them all the time and you violate one, and, you know, whatever. You get the picture. But the fact that we break that one, we've broken all the commandments. So all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. In Romans chapter 6, it talks about the grace of God. Oh, my goodness. The grace of God. Should we go on sinning? That grace should abound? What is grace? What is grace? It's getting something that we don't deserve. The outflow of the goodness and the mercy of God. And what is mercy? Mercy is not getting something that we do deserve. We all deserve to die, but Jesus did it for us. He died in our place so that we could live. So now, save now. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day that God wants to change your life. Now is the moment that your life can be transformed forever. That you can have a brand new start in life. So many times I've heard so many people say, well, if I had it to do all over again, I would do things differently. Well, you have it to do all over again. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. From the moment we're born again by the Spirit of God, our old man dies and we're born again in our spirit and our life begins to change. All of a sudden, there's a transformation in our thinking. And when we align it up with the Word of God and we're transformed by the Word of God, in other words, we're taken out of one state and we're put into another. Woohoo! We're not what we were. May not be what we're always intended to be, but thank God we're not what we were. We are a work in progress. God is working. God's working right now. Would you bow your heads? You know, we can be religious, we can celebrate, we can come in, we can wave the palm and the flags and wave our hands or wave our whole body or whatever we want to do, or we can just stand with our hands in our pockets. Either way, and we're in church, and we can come in just as we are, and we leave just as we are. But God never intended that we leave the way we came in. 
Because there's something transformational about the Word of God. There's something that happens in our heart when we hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God gives us the measure of faith, saving faith, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe in what He did, what He accomplished at Calvary, His mission that was accomplished at the cross. We believe in what He did for us, that He died in our place, and we accept that sacrifice. Say, Lord, I believe that's enough. That's enough. And we stop trying in our own efforts to save ourselves. We give up on trying to save ourselves and we fall at the feet of Jesus and we receive mercy because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, that we have not a high priest who's touched not with the feeling of our infirmities. But we do have one who's been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. Therefore, we have confidence by which we can approach the throne of grace. And there we find mercy. Not judgment, we find mercy. When God overlooks all of our sin and he washes them away. And then we find something else. We find grace to help us in our time of need. And that's what God wants to do for you right now. So you might be sitting there and say, Pastor, would you just shut up and give me an opportunity? I want to be saved right now. I want right now, saved now. I want Jesus to do a work in my life. And if that's you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Because in standing, you're actually bowing before the feet of Jesus and you're saying to him, I need a Savior. Lord, I accept what you did for me at Calvary. I want it right now. So if that's you, would you just stand to your feet right now? Because God wants to touch you. God wants to do something in your heart that has never happened before. And I want you to understand something from someone who has, has experience in this. You... You've been listening to Destiny City Church, a community of believers committed to helping others find and fulfill their God-given destiny. For more information visit us online at destinycity.org.